With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Well, my eyebrows are suitably raised this morning, I'll tell you, and that is because of the claims made by England batsman Joe Root ahead of tomorrow's highly anticipated World Cup meeting between the English and an Australian side needing to replace two of its most important players. Now, the Aussies have some selection headaches, and we'll come back to that in a moment, but if we have a headache, the English must have a full-blown migraine. They are effectively already out of contention after five defeats in six matches, belted by New Zealand, embarrassed by Afghanistan, humiliated by South Africa in a match that saw them bowled out in 22 overs, mauled by Sri Lanka when they were bowled out in 33 overs, and they were annihilated by India last time out. In fact, they've got a fight on their hands to even make the top seven and qualify for the 2025 Champions Trophy. So a press conference clip of Pat Cummins smirking and suppressing giggles as he contemplated England's World Cup struggles has been duly noted by the old dart. They are the defending champions, of course, but they have not survived more than 41 overs with the bat in each of their past four matches. They are a rabble. Now, Root himself is coming off a first ball duck against India, a three against Sri Lanka, a two against South Africa, and an 11 against Afghanistan. But he insists he would still choose England's 11 over Australia, and I quote him here, every day. He said, overnight, man for man, I'd have this team every day over the Australians. We might not have played as well as we can, but when we play our best stuff, the best teams struggle to compete with us. We have to remember that and take that into the next couple of days to make sure we're in that frame of mind to take on Australia, which is what it's about for us now. It's a great opportunity to get back to what we expect of ourselves, the levels we put on ourselves, and the levels that are expected externally as well. We're a far better side than what we've shown. So the touch paper, she's well and truly lit. The captain's run is for state transport. Our people are your solution. And our friends at Country Racing Vic, bet 365 Kilmore Cup book now, country.racing.com slash Kilmore. So 1-300-736-736 is the number today. And the 40 Wings Temper text 0433981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. So Australia's latest episode of Musical Chairs at Selection, of course, revolves around Mitch Marsh's sudden flight home to Perth for personal reasons and Glenn Maxwell's latest act of, well, being Glenn Maxwell. So the cart after dark. That was the silly thing, not the golf. Let's not be ridiculous about it. Players can't be locked up when a positive, happy, well-balanced mindset and all of that is so important to the dressing room. Things like a couple of rounds of golf with mates obviously fits into that category, for me anyway. But the back of the cart, in the dark, I wouldn't subscribe to that. Not when my body is my career, as it is with these guys. However, isn't that also everything that makes Glenn Maxwell Glenn Maxwell? Instinctive, spontaneous if you like, a natural-born risk-taker. Marcus Stoinis described it as boys being boys. Let's have a listen to Marcus Stoinis yesterday. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, it was one of those things that um, unfortunately happened with, you know, boys being boys to an extent. Um, but I wasn't. I didn't see him fall off the card or anything like that, so I can't really talk about that part. But um, I saw him yesterday... 
he's in good spirits. He's in Glenn Maxwell spirits. So um, I again can't speak too much in terms of medical side, but I think he's back. I'd hope he's back very soon. Yeah. You touched on the boys being Roy's element to, to what happened with Maxi. Um, clearly, it's unlucky, but. Does the group or players or cricketers in general, having seen a few of these incidents across the board, need to be smart with some of the decisions they make or just one of those things? Yeah, it's hard. Um, I mean, it's like you, you need a mum on tour, you know? Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, yeah, look, there, there are... It does seem like there's been a few accidents um, in the broader cricket community. Um, but, I mean, yes, it's... Like, like we're saying with Greeny, we're away from home for a long time and you're doing things that you've, you're not really thinking is going to be at risk of anyone hurting themselves. And, yeah, so the it starts to be where do you draw the line, you stop doing one thing, then I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it is hard. But I do agree with you that there's been a few little injuries throughout the community. So that's Marcus Stoinis. Now, talking in jest, of course, but saying they need a mum on tour to tell them what not to do. They need to be babysat. Is that what he's saying, reading between the lines on tour? Billy's in Ascot Vale, though. He wanted to talk about Joe Root's comments, and I quote Joe Root here. Man for man, he says, I'd have this team every day over the Australians. How are you, Billy? Not too bad, Sammy. Yeah, I just want to um, correct me if I'm wrong, but did I... Joe Root get concussed in the last game. I mean, what absolute dribble is coming out of the mouth if you're saying that that side's unbelievable to where they are now? Like, I was going to tell you, you know what the difference between the English cricket team and the teabag is? The teabag stays in the cup longer. Oh, very nice, Billy. Very nice. Billy joining us on the open line. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Little zinger from Billy early. Uh, taking your calls uh, for OMF. The big, big spring sale is on now. Up to 60% off selector mattresses. Now, you know what I... Immediately thought off when I heard Joe Root's comments, I thought of Stephen May at the Melbourne Best of Ferris and some of the text landing. This one from Ted. Sounds like Joe Root and Stephen May have been drinking from the same fountain. Delusional comments. Go Aussies and pies. Sounds like Joe Root had a Stephen May moment, says Stuart, up on the uh, central coast of New South Wales. And this one from the cat in Sandhurst. Come on, Sam. If Australia bats first, we win by 300 English are rubbish. But when you're the defending champion, it's hard to let it go, isn't it? Like mentally, you back yourself and for good for good reason. Okay, you're not performing on the pitch, but you would have that fierce internal belief and clearly Joe Root has that at the moment. And just with Maxwell, we do we not have to take the good with the bad with him? I mean, that's him. The big show blows hot and cold on the field and also off the field. Given he suffered that badly broken leg when he slipped at a friend's party and he missed nearly five months of action. So he played 36 rounds of golf on Monday and rather than just walking the two to 300 metres to the team bus, he and a few others hopped on the back of a packed golf cart and he lost his grip and he fell off the moving vehicle. So concussion symptoms, eight-day concussion protocol, but he's already resumed light training, we're told. He, in fact, he was in the nets overnight. There doesn't appear to be any doubt over an immediate return. Golf isn't exactly firewalking, but it, it must be said... It has claimed a few over the last couple of years, hasn't it? Johnny Bairstow missed the English winter following a nasty broken leg. When are they not us yet, I guess? Josh Inglis was ruled out of the 2022 T20 World Cup. He had that badly cut hand when the club snapped. As ESPN's Andrew McGlashan tweeted, still waiting for a golfer to be injured playing cricket before a crucial round, which I didn't mind from Andrew. Sri Lanka, by the way, last night, bowled out for 55 inside 20 overs last night. 55. They were 7 for 22 at one stage, and they were eventually hammered by runaway favourite 
and hosts India, who clubbed eight for three, five, seven, batting first. And just coming back to the Cats point in Sandhurst, we've seen this a bit in this World Cup. You bat first, you're fielding in hot conditions. We have seen it on more than a few occasions. South Africa even imploded New Zealand as well as the Minnows. Batting second, sometimes you can just come out and you are gassed. And we're seeing teams rolled for very low totals. Uh, get Mrs. Doubtfire over to India, Sammy, to look after the boys over there. Uh, it's my understanding, says Ross, that it was 90% the fault of the driver of the golf buggy. Perhaps we should be asking who was driving. Is this like the AFL's equivalent of the Carlton Booze Cruise? You know, who was handcuffed to Levi Casbolt back in the day? For those of you old enough to remember that, the witch hunt went forever. Yet Levi Casbolt was just a young player at the time, highly intoxicated. The players were suspended and dealt with internally. The hunt to find out who was handcuffed to Levi Casbolt went for years. Who was driving the infamous golf cart in Ahmedabad that claimed Glenn Maxwell? There's a stack happening. We're going to talk AFL as well. For an off-season, it is really busy there. Um, I want to talk fixture later on as well as a soft cap and all that sort of thing. I want to talk fixture in the sense of I've got a few questions regarding this round zero and I guess the ripple effect that it's going to create in terms of of the buy structure. When are those buyers going to be for the eight teams that play the four games of round zeros? We're almost certain it's going to be in Sydney and in Brisbane and on the Gold Coast. There's a ripple effect with that I want to discuss. We'll talk the Derby, of course, Spring Carnival bursts into life tomorrow. Who's getting along? Gee, the crowds have dropped away in recent times, so I'm keen to temperature test that with you this morning. World Series wrapped up by the Texas Rangers 4-1, and AFLW is reaching an amazing crescendo. Final weekend of the home and away season with that as well. So we'll take your calls throughout. All thanks to OMF. Their big, big spring sales on now. 60% off selected mattresses. That number, one 736 736 a stack of your texts coming through. I'll need the break to park them and read them out. That's the 40 Wings Temper, of course, 0433981116. I've got a prize to give away as well. It's a double pass to see the Collingwood Superstars and the Premiership players, Braden Maynard and Jeremy Howe. That's at Manhattan Hotel on the 8th of November. That's a Wednesday, and it's thanks to authentic autographs and events. We'll talk some basketball as well today. LeBron James just doing LeBron James things for a 38-year-old, if you don't mind. We're on the clock back for the Lakers yesterday. But initially, it's all going to be about cricket and Bryce McGain. We'll branch out. Mick Ablett will continue our draft countdown with uh, the draft expert Mick Ablett. We might discuss the forwards today, the best forwards in the draft pool. Andy Harper's going to talk all things world football with us out of 11 o'clock. Now, we know the Magic Man will be in the house. So even if the, the crowds are down, what do you reckon, Miles? Magic is the equivalent of about 10 humans, I reckon, such as the presence and the swagger that Miles takes to Flemington. So he'll be in at 11.20, a sprinkling of Magic to set us up for the week. And that's all ahead of us on a big McCafe menu. They are our official coffee partner. But up after this, all things cricket with Bryce McGain. Stick around. It's the Captain's Run. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. There's a fascinating variety of texts that have dropped on the 40 Winks temper, 0433 in regards to Glenn Maxwell, in regards to Joe Root's comments. M dropped us a line, are these cricketers professional? Imagine the uproar if this was Patrick Cripps just before the finals. Dave, can we stop acting like Maxie is a party boy who brings this on himself? Both were just accidents that could happen to anyone. Not like he was pissed and walked in front of a golf cart, but then there's Dennis in Coolaroo. Sammy, the silence about the involvement of alcohol in the Maxwell incident is deafening. I smell a cover-up. 
If this was Dave Warner, I guarantee the feedback would be the opposite. It's the Victorian bias towards Maxwell. New South Welshman accusing the Victorians of bias. That's a bit rich. Awesome leadership from one of their greats putting it out there. This is Joe Root from Nick Jewell. Awesome leadership putting it out there to challenge his teammates to take on the arch enemy. Hate the Poms, but love this from their best player game on. Mark from Vermont didn't like it, though. You can't possibly say England are a better team. That is just completely incorrect. Rick, so many narcissistic people in the English side. No wonder they've stopped getting along. And then all sorts of conspiracy theories regarding Mitch Marsh. People aren't buying the version of events they were given. I guess this is what happens in situations like these. We better go to the expert because we're on the eve of a big game. Australia got a couple of replacements to fill. Two of their best three players arguably out of the side. And Joe Root has absolutely lit the touch paper for it for good measure. Bryce McGainey is with us. G'day, Bryce. Good morning. Thanks for your time. Very good morning to you, Sam. And there's a bit going on leading into what we'd expect to be a, a pretty comfortable Australia game on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Joe Root has fired things up, hasn't he? Man for man, he says. I'd have this team every day over the Australians. I mean, it's great for us on our side of the fence, no doubt about it. What do you think it does uh, to the countdown to this game, particularly if you're in either camp, Bryce? Yeah, look... I- Australia need to be wary. Um, Beware the wounded lion. And uh, England are a good team. There's no doubt about it. Joe Root, it does sound delusional, but he has to say that. He has to go out there and spur his team for this moment. They need to upset the opposition. They need to finish strongly to show that they are um, a a capable team. But, uh, yeah, it, it looks a bit misguided because of their recent performance. But they are still a really good, dangerous side in, in one-day cricket. They're the reigning champs, and they've had a terrific record with the same group of players. They just haven't got their mojo going this tournament. So, look, I did like uh, Billy's little zinger early on with the tea bag. Uh, <laughs> I did enjoy that. But, uh, look, they have to think that way internally. They mm. have to as a team. Otherwise, you must well pack up and leave now and forfeit the rest of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And the musical chairs at selection, as far as Australia is concerned, down to 13 to choose from now. I mean, how unsettling is this if you're in the four walls in the Adelaide setup with Andrew McDonald and you're just trying to find a settled lineup as you get towards the back end of the this group stage, if, if you like? How unsettling can that be? It can be, but it can also be a great opportunity. Um, they haven't been able to, because they lost the first two, they haven't been able to explore too much, uh, and, and they've just had to have the foot down, concentrate, put the blinkers on, go as straight and as hard as they possibly can. Uh, now, it, it does, through necessity, make them have some opportunity to do that. Stoinis can see himself up the top of the mm. order. He's equally as good up there. That's great. Cameron Green comes in the middle order, and they give us some bowling options as well, where we've been a little bit off our tucker. Let's be perfectly honest. Um, Cummins and and Stark haven't been as good as what they once were. They need to sharpen up as well. Um, But the batting lineup, it can mix and match, but we've got it covered. Australia have just got depth in all places. Even if they put Josh Inglis up to the opening spot, they've got flexibility. They've got guys that can cover that, and they'll have a lot of internal belief. Um, As much as we feel a bit uneasy watching it and seeing it without the best names, we don't need to worry because the next guy will just step in and get the job done. Yeah, the middle order's been a bit weak for mine, hasn't it? Just with the bat, I'm speaking, start well, generally finish well, and that's where maybe Mitch Marsh and, and Glenn Maxwell will be will be missed, Bryce. Um, and who comes in, do you think? Will it be Stoinis and Cam Green? Is it as simple as that? 
I, I think it is. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's re- really our only sort of options there. We've got Abbott on the on the tour as well. Um, so, look, I, I think that's where, where they land. Uh, it could be Alex Carey um, and play two keepers. One of them just keeps. Mm. So there's an option as well. So it might be Inglis up the top, Carey in that middle part. Um, but they've got options. And all these guys are batted up the top. They've all batted through the middle. They're highly experienced, and they'll be able to play the role that Andrew McDonald and the skipper um, Pat Cummins need. So we needn't stress too much. These guys have got it well in hand. As much as it is a little disruptive, they've got it covered. And I'm sure you've spoken about this in recent days, but the extracurricular stuff. So Andrew McDonald is said to be a player's coach, I suppose, and you can't stop players playing golf, I wouldn't have thought. Some coaches over time have been stricter than others, Bryce. Where do you, is there a line to be drawn somewhere? Well, you need to te- treat your team as adults and let them make their own decisions. I think uh, Maxie's frontal lobe is maybe still developing like a teenage boy <laughs> and... Uh, these types of risks is maybe a bit much. His cricket lobe is enormous. That's bulging at the back of his head, but the frontal lobe making some average decisions. He's 35 uh, years of age, Bryce. I know, but that frontal lobe is about 16. <laughs> and, uh, we, we've all been through it. We're, our decision-making is not great. So he's still a, a little boy in a big kid's body, I suppose. Yeah. You've got to treat them as adults um, and you've got to let them make those sort of decisions. You think how innocuous it is. By the sound of it, they've just gotten a golf cart to move from one end of the the hotel to the other. He slipped off the back and, you know, by the sound of it, that's where it's been rather than out on the golf course. So, um, yeah. We got you there, Bryce. You've just gone through a bad spot there. We'll try. We'll reset. Have we got you? Yeah, I think I'm still here. Oh, you're here. I've still got you guys. Sorry. Con- yeah. Continue on. I just crackled up there. Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, we just need to trust these guys. Look, it, mm. it, it does you know, heighten because it is a World Cup, but we've got to treat them as dogs. You can't wrap them up and lock them in their room. That'll send them crazy and we'll get dreadful performance on the field. Yeah, well, it takes you back to homework gate almost, doesn't it? No, we've got a text here from, from Dave and I did touch on this earlier. He says, I'm not sure if you're a Killers fan, by the way, Bryce, but Dave says, as the Killers say, are they human or are they dancers? Maxwell is a dancer and with that comes all the box and dices that make him who he is. Yeah, look, he, he he's fun-loving. And he's great to be around. He's terrific in a squad because he is fun all the time. There's a, um, you know, there's a bit of high energy about him as well. Mm. You know, he can't sit still. He's a bit jittery, and you know, and, and we see the risk taking in his cricket performance. And you know, we've all got mates like that that just, you know, sometimes for us quieter guys, you go, come on, just settle down. But they can't. They've got ants in the pants, and they want to keep moving, and they'll jump on the back of the, yep. the scooter and all those sort of things. You know, we've all got mates like that, and. Um, they actually make for a great dynamic in a cricket team, in a sporting team. Um, sometimes, yeah, there are these... You, know, you just can't protect from this unless he walks around in a helmet full-time and maybe that's the solution. Andrew McDonald will slip on his head. <laughs> are they human or are they dancers? The killers never sung about frontal lobes, though. I don't think we're going to mention frontal lobes this morning. <laughs> Not at all, but it just popped in there and I'm thinking of my teenage boys who grew up and me as a young guy as well. You know, their decision-making takes a while. We know it. We're boys. Yep, fair enough, too. Hey, uh, let's broaden the World Cup discussion. India, they just look awesome. 
hey, they, they are outstanding. And it's built around a real system. It's not just because they're at home. Yeah, they've got a 12th man and the crowd is unbelievable. It makes it very difficult to play against them because it, you just can't hear yourself think. You cannot concentrate. It is just relentless. And the Indian players thrive in that. But it's also built around an incredible bowling attack now. Um, we know that Bumra and how well he goes, he's bowled the most dot balls. Mm. And then at the other end, you've got a player that's come in like Shemi, who's taken 14 wickets. He's only played three games. He's destroying teams. Another five for overnight. Sri Lanka looks second rate. They were blown apart. And then you've got this spin option. Ravi Ashwin hasn't played all games, but Jadeja's been excellent. So they've just got this bowling attack that is just extraordinary. So that they are just squeezing out teams. We know they're batting talent, but sometimes it's this stuff that leaves a bit under the under the surface that we don't sort of um, point out too much. But they're mm. bowling attack executing second to none. They uh, are outstanding. Hey, Bryce, we need to get to the news. If you're happy to hang around, I wouldn't mind uh, firing a couple more your way after the headlines with Monique Jews as we uh, work through our cricket conversation with Bryce McGain. A lot of your text coming through as well. And, Steve, I've got you on the line in Moorlbark. We'll get to you as well once we farewell Bryce McGain. You're listening to the Captain's Run for State Transport. Our people are your solution. Sam Edmund with you. We'll continue our cricket chat on the other side of these news headlines with Bryce McGain. Stick around. Back after the news. Monique, thank you. We're with Bryce McGain working our way through our Cricket World Cup conversation. Uh, India last night, 8 for 357 from their allotted 50. Sri Lanka dismissed inside 20 overs for 55. An absolute car crash. And Bryce, I found myself watching Shubman Gill. Now, I don't know if you ever watched The Matrix, but he was like Keanu Reeves when he learnt Kung Fu and just stepped out and did it almost with his eyes closed and one-handed. He was just patrolling the crease with consummate ease. He made it look so simple, and he's club 92 from as many balls. Yeah, players like that, uh, it looks like they're reading the mind of the bowler. Crazy. What the plan is. It, it is extraordinary. He's got that much time, and it is around the talent of uh, just being able to pick up all the little cues. Uh, us mere mortals, you know, we wait for the ball to be halfway down the pitch before we make a decision on what we're doing. He's making those calls before the ball has left his hand because he can look at the release point. He's watching it so closely there. He is an incredible talent. And we, we all know about um, their top-end talent, Virat Kohli, KL Rahul. Mm. You know, these guys are performing exceptionally well. But it's their their less than household names, I suppose, that are just incredibly talented. They've got a long, long list of highly, highly skilled players. And uh, in some way, it's a pleasure to watch. Like, it really is enjoyable to watch guys who are at the very top of international cricket perform that way. And Shubman Gill is exactly one of those. He just glides around. He strikes the ball with absolute ease. But he hits it as hard as anyone going around in the world. It's pretty remarkable. I couldn't believe how easy he was making it look for a long period of time out in the middle last night, Bryce. And so if India are seen as the, the strong favourites and South Africa have to be right there, gee, they're playing with some power. They've got a superior net run rate. Their scoring is off its head at the moment. What, what are you seeing in the South Africans? Uh, more than just the skill of what they're going about it, what I'm seeing is an incredible calmness a bit of zen about the way they're playing, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and it's led right at the very top. Quinton de Kock um, is just peeling off hundreds for fun. But he's doing it without frantic bashing of the bat on mm. the crease and um, tension or anything. He's just so calm. And they've all got that same approach. 
the bowlers are doing it exactly so that they execute with precision and the batters are doing it as well. This genuine calmness about them. Um, it's very different to what we've experienced before. And we can look at South Africa and say, oh, but they'll, they'll tighten up. They'll start to really feel the pressure as it goes on later. But for whatever reason, they're just a completely different group now. They've got a lot of trust in each other. They've had a hiccup. They haven't played perfect, but they're playing so calmly now. I think it sets up very, very well for their chances. They've got all bases covered with skill, and uh, and they've shown that they can knock off Australia in their home patch mm. and uh, and also in India. Um, and Australia right up there at the pointy end. I'm very buoyant about the Aussies. Don't worry about that. But we are seeing some great challenges ahead. Um, India, uh, South Africa are certainly it. Unfortunately, our neighbours, New Zealand, they've got a little wobbly now as yep. the pressure comes on and they see the, the light at the end of the tunnel of semi-finals. They've started to feel a bit of that pressure. Yeah, I don't know what South Africa were doing against the Netherlands. I, I think they just rocked up thinking that was going to happen. But three of their last four games, they've gone close to scoring 400. So their batting is just outrageous at the moment. So it really comes down to a two-match tournament now, doesn't it, Bryce? And we didn't think that going in because there were maybe five, six, maybe six teams that could have made the semi-final stage. But now it's just all about play your best cricket over two matches and a semi and a final, of course. So you just got to be your best for a pair of games at the end. You just got to qualify and get there. Yeah, and that's that's really important. It's still wide open what that final four will look like. If India slip up, which which is possible because they've had to travel every single game, Sam. So uh, it, it's nine games in nine different venues in a pretty hectic schedule, and it's suffocating what they have to experience as a team. Obviously, in and out of uh, airports, they, they get looked after a bit mm. in some respects. They're not walking through the public aisles. Don't worry about that. But the... the intensity just around the bus going through town and things like that it's it's overwhelming so they've taken it with a smile on their face they're certainly used to it but it may become a bit taxing now but one of the things i've loved sam is just the improvement of the other nations uh afghanistan how they're playing we know a lot of their players Mohammed nami we, we we know um uh, you know a lot of their guys that have come to australia in the big bash now they're doing it at the international stage it's so pleasing to see we're seeing the netherlands bob up they're closing the gap that's why this world cup is so fascinating yeah we are looking towards the finals and it's exciting but i'm loving to see the different teams and their improvement um, against the top ones as well. It's been excellent. 100%. The gap is closing, and there's been uh, a handful of upsets along the way as well. Bryce, can't wait for it tomorrow night. Australia, England, and we're getting down to the business end of it all there now over in India. Appreciate it, mate. We'll talk again soon. Good to catch up, Sam. Catch you soon. There is Bryce McGain there. Off the text from Killer in WA, if it wasn't for Marsh and Maxi in the earlier games, we would be in a similar position as the Poms on the ladder. Massive danger game and an upset brewing. That's from Killer. We need to get to the open line. Steve's in Murrelbark. Steve, welcome. Thanks for hanging on the line. Yeah, hey, good morning, mate. What's on your mind? Yeah, look, um, yeah, when you spoke before about uh, golfers not getting hurt, maybe playing cricket, yeah. well, that, that happened. Um, it would have been 30-odd years ago, uh, the Australian Masters in Melbourne, which was a massive tournament back then. Uh, Craig Parry and Stephen Leaning. One did a hamstring and one fractured a finger in a game against the MCC, which the, the golfers played against the MCC. Fair And uh, Dean, Dean Jones was the captain of the, the golfers. He just did it for the day. And, um, yeah, so the tournament wasn't too happy when two of their big-name players had to pull out of the tournament. So it's happened. It actually has happened, Steve. Definitely happened. Oh, I love it. And it cost them both the Australian Open, I take it? 
it was the, the Australian Masters at Huntingdale, right. and yeah, they both couldn't play in the tournament. Well, okay, there you go. So it has happened. Cricketers injured playing golf. Golfers injured playing cricket. Thanks for the history lesson, Steve. Appreciate that. Um, Daryl's in Reservoir, though. He's not buying India. He said it's the perfect storm. India going into a sudden death semi. Kohli and Sharma um, retiring after 1.4 billion people making fielding changes. Bring on the choke, Daryl, says in Reservoir there. Um, Keep your texts coming through. I'm a bit like killer in WA. I think we've been strong at the top of the order, strong at the back end with Glenn Maxwell and Mitch Marsh playing vital roles. Unless something changes in the middle order, it's a heck of a lot to ask of the likes of of David Warner um, at the top of the order. It's probably two of our most uh, three informed players in this tournament thus far. So hopefully something changes against England. Off the text, why do you keep saying we need to put up with both sides of Maxwell? We've seen him perform uh, five times in three years. I'm really over how protected he is. Warner's been a world beater for most of his career and he gets crucified every step. Yet people think Maxwell is a cricket god and our saviour. Please look at his actual stats over the last 25 innings. He shouldn't be there. He's a gun domestic player. That is some strong feedback from Sean off the 40 Wings temper. I've got to give away that double pass to uh, to see Braden Maynard and Jeremy Howe at the Manhattan Hotel. I'll keep that front and centre here on my desk. That's Wednesday, 8th of November, thanks to Authentic Autographs and Events. After this break, I want to talk some football. I want to talk, we're just seeing some whispers now and some snippets of what the fixture is going to look like for next year. It's still a couple of weeks away, but I want to talk to you about Round Zero And not only round zero and the four games are going to take place in round zero, but the potential ripple effect that will create with the buys this year. Just something I want to workshop with you, and I'd love you to come along uh, on that with me. 1-300-736-736. You can get your unique bed match profile, find the right bed for you, of course, thanks to the 40 Winks temper text. 40 Winks, they're serious about sleep. Take a break. Back on The Captain's Run next. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. All I know is this, uh, we've had discussions with the AFL. There's, I think they're still finalising, as they should be, a couple of things. Um, and we've said to them that, um, that the, the club wants to grow um, not only the game, but ourselves into into other states. And that's where we need to get growth from. So we'd support it. Um, obviously, working in conjunction with riding and high performance and fly. Um, but we think that can be done. Um, I think then We'd obviously get a buy um, not far after that uh, that would hopefully line up with, uh, you know, maybe a shorter week for us that we now get a break on. So that end to gather around, I think it's smart that we invest up in uh, that, that Sydney region we need to. NRL aren't going to be there. They're going to be in Vegas. So um, we should get up there and try and um, get into that market and keep supporting those two clubs up there. Welcome back. That was the Collingwood CEO, Craig Kelly, on Round Zero with Jared Waitley around this time yesterday. So as I said before the break, these fixture snippets are just finding their way into the mainstream now. There'll be a few other leaks between now and the official release. And a lot of interest is uh, centred around what's being uh, referred to, as you know, Round Zero. The four matches in Sydney and up in Queensland. Um, we need a better name for that, surely. Can we workshop that, by the way? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. but we'll persist with Round Zero for now. So it's sounding like Round 1 proper will follow thereafter. So Paul's just text in, with the AFL Round Zero, other teams playing for for premiership points. Paul, they almost certainly will be. And then they roll in. So round one will actually be there round two for the four teams. And Collingwood will almost certainly be one of them, the eight teams rather, that play those four games. So 
What I wanted to ask you this morning was, do we care if we have, firstly, a lopsided ladder for a few rounds until those eight clubs get given a buy a handful of rounds in or whatever it is? Is it, and this is the issue, will the buy for them be round three? Will it be five? Will it be seven? And is it fair that those eight clubs then get an extra buy? So everyone else, the other 10 clubs, will have the customary mid-season rest and the pre-finals buy. But these eight clubs, and there's a lot we don't know, but we're workshopping this. We're crystal balling this to some degree. But what we're hearing is these eight clubs will get an extra rest before those buys. Now, if that rest is after round two, round three, whatever, then maybe it's not a big deal. But if that rest is after, say, round five, which would be gather round, then surely that's a competitive advantage, isn't it? Handful of games, rest. Handful more games, rest. All the way up until finals, another rest. Surely it's going to be round three or something. But listening to Craig Kelly there with Jared yesterday, he said the buy would come a few weeks after and it would be in a week, he thought, or he hoped, where they have a short break. Now, typically that would be in and around Collingwood's Anzac Day game. So that that falls on a Thursday in round seven next year. Surely the league won't wait until round seven. Now, you'd have the majority of the competition playing, you know, as I say, 13, 14 games and a rest, then another dozen or so. But you'd have the chosen eight. Let's call them the chosen eight who play round zero, getting a beautifully, potentially, potentially, a beautifully staggered set of breaks throughout, almost like every third point of the season. Again, maybe I'm being unnecessarily mischievous, but I think this is a watch going forward, the ripple effect of round zero. Teams playing in round zero, says Joe, should not play teams who are not playing in round zero the following week, as this would be grossly disadvantageous to the latter. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The other thing that I heard or read or saw was that Collingwood would play GWS in round zero, and then sound as though they might play Sydney in round one. So that would be fitting with what Joe has suggested, because the Swans would feature in round zero. Uh, Stuart, just with the AFL round zero, round one arrangements, I know Carlton Richmond traditionally play in that first week of the season, but wouldn't be great next season to have Richmond versus Gold Coast. First up, Stuart on the Central Coast of New South Wales. That would be great. The whole Damien Harwick factor straight off the bat. And I, I love it how the AFL do this on occasion. I think they can do it better as well. The storylines of late season, off season, carry them through into round one and, and really hype that up. The Crows in Sydney must kick off gather round, says Michael. Who says the bye is an advantage? Some teams lost momentum. Well, I can tell you, when the players are screaming out for a break, and it was the longest season we've ever had last year, you would not hear anyone complain about getting a rest. Um, and if they were to get it, a handful of rounds in, and then another handful of rounds in, and then another handful of rounds in, surely that's competitive advantage. Surely. Um, keep your texts coming through on that. Uh, a lot of good feedback for Bryce McGain, by the way. It's as good as Crash's commentary. Getting back on Monday after the game, says David. Uh, Lisa, this round zero is all about Collingwood. It's to promote the game in Sydney. How about talking to the Sydney teams as to how it's going to go and how to promote? Well, no, Lisa, it's also about Sydney. The NRL are out of the city of Sydney. It's a chance to maximise their exposure. Now, this was one of the criticisms of this year's fixture, was that Sydney and GWS didn't get to play a home game straight up, 
and they lost some momentum in in building their membership bases and their support in and around the city of Sydney that, as we know, is super competitive with the NRL. So with the NRL over in Vegas, it's a real chance, isn't it, for the AFL to strike. So I think it's as much about Sydney and Collingwood factor into that to bring the hype and to bring the interest. Uh, instead of round zero, the AFL should call it showcase rounders. That's exactly what they're doing with these matches. Not a bad shout there, David, at all. Sammy, the Northern States' first week is a great idea. NRL get big media momentum in Northern States because they start a week earlier. That's the other part of it, Benny. The AFL struggles to recover from that in growing the game to new fans. Ben, you're on the Gold Coast. Spot on. I think that's a big part of it as well. Why couldn't they all just have their buy the first week of buy rounds for fairness? They could do that, but uh, they're starting earlier, these eight teams. So they're going to be at it a week earlier for premiership points. And it's sounding as though they will get a buy on their own before everyone else. I think the timing of that buy, honestly, is really important. I know the fixture can be a bit of a dry conversation, but this could be a watch. If that buy is a fair chunk into the season, what does that do? one uh, 736 736 Keep your thoughts coming through on the 40 Wings temper as well. The McCafe menu, Mick Ablett shortly. Chris Anstey, all things NBL, NBA. Andy Harper, the world game. Miles Fitzner, a bit of magic ahead of a big weekend of racing. And Collingwood AFLW player Ashling Sheridan will join us as well. Thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Some feedback off the text from Big Al. Uh, since when has competitive advantage been an issue for the AFL? Point taken, Big Al. But that doesn't mean you have to introduce new um, patterns of the fixture that uh, further compromise it. I wouldn't have thought, but you make a very good point. Uh, what about this one? There shouldn't be any buyers. Just play every week. These pampered players are all wimps. They need a week off every week. All the round zero teams just have to play each other in round one. And a bit of cricket conversation. Chris in Point Cook with some perspective. Let's all just take a deep breath, says Chris. Travis Head is playing. We cannot lose. Alex, uh, it's not the middle order that's not performing. It's the bowling that's been poor. Stark is erratic, as demonstrated in his last over against New Zealand. Cummins isn't an ODI bowler. And Hazelwood is too predictable. I thought the latter two bowled well last time out. And Mitch Stark, yep, he can be taken for plenty. That's just the nature of how he bowls. Um, Keep your feedback coming through. We were talking about the races earlier. I want to put this to Miles Fitzner. The reason in the drop-off of crowds over time, you know, COVID aside, cost of living pressures are real. I'm not sure what sort of crowd we're going to get to Derby Day tomorrow. 71,000 last year. To think that it peaked... Well, in modern times, in 06, 129,000 they squeezed in to Flemington. 129,000. Then they capped it at 100, I think. There was a series of crowds in the 90s. And then um, and then last time out, 71,000. Kevin Eltham, I have a simple explanation for this. I organised tickets for my son and his mates, mates to go to Flemington uh, the other week. They suited up and were so excited to go. They won't go again. Drinks, etc. way too expensive. Kids can't afford to go. I went with my friends to the Cox Plate. Five bucks for a party pie, just taking the piss. I won't bother again either. You have to back plenty of winners to pay for your day. That's from Kev. Uh, Right, the McCafe menu next. We're going to talk the forwards in the 2023 AFL Draft Corp with Mick Ablett. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Just a reminder of that McCafe menu this morning. Chris Anstey, all things basketball. Andy Harper, all things world football. Miles Fitzner, all things racing to set us up for a big weekend, the Spring Carnival. 
Four days of it bursts into life tomorrow with the Derby at Flemington. And Ashling Sheridan, uh, Collingwood AFLW player, still to come. Thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. Don't forget, you can join us anytime. one 736 736 And the 40 Wings temper just ticking along beautifully this morning. 0433981116. I make a commitment to you as I do each and every week on the Captain's Run. I'll meet, read out your texts as they drop. We are, though, continuing our countdown to the 2023 National Draft that's on later this month with one of the sharpest eyes for young talent in the country in Mick Ablett. Now, we did open our conversations with Mick on a broad scale. We narrowed down to the best midfielders last week. And today, we're turning our attention to those who make things happen in the front half, the best forwards in the pool. Mick, good morning. Thanks for your time once again. Good morning, Sam. How are you, mate? I'm going well. You know what? I hadn't even got you up on the line and the question dropped straight away. Please ask Mick what is happening with pick one. <laughs> I, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I had the answer. Um, but unfortunately, I don't. It's, I think it's still very much up in the air. I think West Coast is still open to the idea of trading pick one. Um, you know, and I, like I've said, and we've discussed, Sam, I think if they can get you know, two inside the top mm. 10 um, and more so towards that front half of the top 10, I think they'd be willing to trade the pick. I'm not even going to throw a name at you yet, Mick. When I ask you for the best, we might start with key forwards. I'm not sure. I'll ask you openly, the best forwards in the draft. Where does your mind initially take you? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We've got the tools, the smalls and, and everything in between yeah. uh, with the forwards. But the first name that comes to mind is Jed Walter. He's a, a 195-centimetre product out of uh, the Gold Coast Suns Academy, and I'd expect a bid to come on him at pick two. Unless there's been some sort of deal done amongst trading picks or something happening, uh, something happens in between now in the draft where the Gold Coast can, uh, can manage to get him out a couple of spots, but I find that highly unlikely. Um, all the conversations I had is that, you know, you could argue uh, he's... he's Definitely in the mix for, for those top two picks. He's a, a, I find him to be a Jack Reedwalt type of player. Mm. He's got fantastic aerial prowess. He's got some really good smarts at ground level. He had two years at the Under-18 Championships where he just performed off the charts. He was um, he was outstanding. I think if he had been available as a 17-year-old, there's no doubt he gets snapped up in, um, in that. And and just with Jed, so he, he grew up just down the road in Palm Beach, so it's the stuff of fantasy for the Suns. It's amazing how it's worked out. But a lot's been written and said. So he's 194 centimetres, I think listed at 97 kilos, so a big lump of, of a kid, Mick. But his defensive, I guess, thirst for it all, the chasing, the tackling, he doesn't mind that side of the game either. Yeah, you're spot on. I, I find his work ethics outstanding, and that's what keeps him involved in the game on both sides of the ball, where, whether it's offensively or defensively. He's just got that appetite to really compete, to lay tackles and put pressure on. And that's why, you know, for the punters out there, if you think like a Jack Rewald type, and, and Jack was always involved in the game, um, always looking to get a turnover and, and grab a cheeky one going the other way. So... I just that's where I think Jed Walters' point of difference is as a as a key forward is the ability to create pressure on on the defensive opposition and um, and create scoring opportunities for his team. 
Now, uh, whenever we talk about the Gold Coast Suns, Mick, uh, Matt, who's uh, uh, down over here in Ocean Grove, is a big, big Suns man. Now, for, for him and for people who aren't overly familiar with the why, he's asking what the purpose is of North Melbourne or other clubs nominating these players, as you say, it might come for him at pick two, knowing full well the bids will be matched. I mean, this is just about making their rivals pay full freight, isn't it? 100 percent is, and that's where the um, you know the equality and, and stuff in the draft mm. is really important because Jed Walter warrants being picked in the top two selections. The higher he gets bid on by another AFL club, the more it's going to cost the Gold Coast Suns, and it's not a vindictive way of looking at it or, or trying to do the wrong thing by anybody. It's simply the fact that it's important that the Gold Coast Suns pay fair value for the players that are coming through the system. And I think if any other club had access to to an open draft and Jed Walter was in the pool, um, I think you'd hear his name get called out pretty quickly after Harley Reid. Now, most people would have heard of the big left footer out of WA, Daniel Curtin. I think he's played a lot of footy back as well as forward. Mick, he's played some waffle senior footy as well. Where does Daniel Curtin sit in your reckoning? Yeah, look, I, it's surprising, isn't it? We hear a lot of rumours at this time of the year. You hear about players sort of maybe sliding, some coming up the order. I find it staggering that, that this young man's uh, name would be mentioned at all in terms of sliding in, in any aspect of the draft. Mm. Again, he's, he's 195 centimetres. Actually, I think he, he might have even come in a little bit taller than that at, at 197, and he's 95 kilos. Think Matthew Pavlich when you, you think of this kid. He can play either end of the ground. He had a sensational under-18 championship through the middle. I mean, his best game was 27 disposals and eight clearances against Vic Metro over here in WA. He captained the Colts premiership. He played in six league games. So there's literally nothing more this young man could have done. Um, I know he missed a little bit of the testing at the combine with a, a hamstring issue. But he's, he's a, just a really calm, composed, excellent decision-maker. And, um, and he, he just played down back by Ash Prescott in, um, at league level for Claremont. I reckon that had a bit to do with, with teaching Dan the game and, um, and him being able to see the game in front of him. Uh, there's a question here from Simon. I wanted to ask you about Nate Caddy out of the Northern Knights uh, as well, Mick. Um, and Simon's asking, will Nate Caddy make Essendon's first pick, which I think currently is nine for the Bombers? So 193, 88 kilos, key forward, but has played midfield as well. This is the evolution of the, the modern AFL footballer, I suppose. Yeah, certainly is. He, he'll be in the mix. He's um, around that sort of that selection where the Bombers will sit just inside 10 or, or the clubs will sit just outside. He was a, a totally team of the year and a half forward. And he reminds me a lot of Jake Stringer. I've, um, I've seen Nate go into the midfield and he's that really powerful, robust type that can certainly win his fair share of contested ball. Um, it's his ability to track the ball and, and trap it at ground level, which, which I find impressive. He's certainly strong above his head. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, always a lot of attention. Yeah, on the father-son, sorry, Mick. And um, Jordan Croft is, is amongst that lot this year. Another another massive unit, uh, maybe bound for the Witten Oval. 201 centimetres, 80 kilos out of the Calder Cannons. Obviously, um, you know, famous father who, who played for the football club. And, and Joe's texting us here. Uh, I'd love to see him take uh, Father Matthews, number 16, now that Toby McLean is no longer at the kennel. He's committed to joining, so this one will play out, you think? Yeah, he's another tall, isn't he? So you think of, of Aaron Norton, Rory Lobb, 
uh, Sam Darcy, and now they're about to add Jordan Croft, who's, who's above 200 centimetres, as mm. you mentioned. He uh, is a goal kicker, no doubt about that. He kicked 23 goals in 11 games at, at coach league level and had an outstanding um, season in, in that sense. He's got a really nice tank. He ran fourth in the two-kilometre time trial with a time of six minutes and, and five seconds. So he he's a really mobile type. His ability on the run from outside 50 is exceptional. And, um, and you've got no doubt that the dogs will match any bid that comes for him. I wanted to ask you just openly, any other key forwards you think we should mention? Have you got any, I mean, people always text in, Mick, wanting to know of sleepers and bolters and sliders and, and maybe some names that we're not overly familiar with. Have you got anything on your on your in your dossier there for the for the key forwards? Yeah, well, not necessarily a key as such, mate. There are a couple of mediums that I certainly think are worth mentioning. Yep. One is Colton Solstrup, a, a young man out of the Subiaco Footy Club. He was, I thought he had a lot of likenesses to Cam Rayner in the way he played over the course of a year. His power is off the charts. He's a, a really tough matchup inside 50. But then he came out of the combine and, and really shocked everyone um, with a, a really impressive 2K time trial. He finished 10th there, which now you start going, okay, okay, what have we got here? Is this young man a little bit more of a, a Jordan Degoe, Christian Petrarca type that, that's going to be able to roll through the midfield with like to say, that exceptional power, his agility and his lateral movements, brilliant. So I think he could be a real bolter. I think we could see him potentially, he'll be around that pick 10 mark, maybe just outside when, you know, maybe a month or so ago he was he was looking at the late teens, early 20s. So keep, definitely keep an eye on him. Um, the other one who I'm really impressed by, and he'll be a little bit further out in the draft, but keep an eye on the name Kate Delarue. He's a 183-centimetre, 79-kilo forward out of the Dandenong Stingrays, and mm-hmm. he's just ultra-creative. He's a um, a really, really impressive player on both sides of the body. He's got an ability to weight kicks beautifully, does not fumble the footy. Uh, he's not quick by any stretch, but it, it's his composure with the ball in hand and ability to execute and make smart decisions under pressure, which really impresses me. Kay Delarue, I must admit, I haven't... I'm going to follow it nowhere near as closely as you, Mick. I haven't seen that name too often. No, he's a, um, a relative, I believe, of Justin Lepic um, as well, so I'm sure that'll come up at some stage. But so he averages the, the 15 disposals a game and three tackles at the Under-18 Championship. But, you know, as I mentioned, Sam, he's mm. the type of player you want him kicking the ball. He's that impressive with a ball in hand and, and he's used by sports for... He's the man that you want hitting up your forward targets and going inside forward 50. So Dane's, uh, Zane Dersma, rather, right at the point end of the draft, reckoning we know that. Is he more of a midfielder than a forward, though? Would we even feature him here, do you think, Mick? No, I think it's. I think he's definitely worth talking about as a forward. He's, um, he's had a super impressive year. I mean, to average 19 disposals, six marks and three goals at coach league level um, is exceptional. He was the named the captain in the forward pocket of the coach league team of the year. And he's, he's really poetry in motion, this young fella. He's, he's cut his teeth as a forward. I, I think we'll see him move into the midfield um, at some stage. But right at the moment, he is just balanced, personified. He's got beautiful power. He's a second in the running vertical jump, just over three seconds in a 20-metre sprint. So... He's got a lot to offer, and I think he sits just in behind Harley Reid and Jed Walter at, at a very early pick inside that top five mark.
Yep. And Nick Watson again, um, according to most, a top 10 candidate for sure. There's not a lot of Nick Watson, I've got to say, um, Mick, but he's said to just make things happen out of nothing. And uh, he's got those wizardry traits inside 50 that uh, that bring people through the turnstiles. Yeah, he certainly has. We we heard him referred to plenty of times as the wizard, and there's uh, there's good reason for that. I mean, he's... His ability in the under-18 champs to hit the scoreboard, he was averaging three and a half goals a game over four matches, which is ultra-impressive. He's equally adept on either side of the body, and he's a real typical crafty, creative small forward. He can hit up on a lead. He can crumb. Um, you know, a little bit, a little bit in uh, a similar vein, I guess, to um, to his. Uh, his young coach league counterpart in Cody Waitman that came through obviously mm. a couple of years ago. He's very similar to Cody in that his ability to to draw the ball, to create something out of nothing, and um, and he actually does find a little bit of it. He can get a bit higher up the ground. He, he showed that in the coach league competition where he averaged twenty disposals for the year, and he's uh, another one that's very very lightly framed, short in stature at one seventy centimeters, but ultra-creative and, um, and got talent to both. We're speaking to Mick Ablett. We're counting down the 2023 draft later on this month. Today's conversation centering around the forwards, big, uh, small, and everything in between. Lance Collard's another one out of WA, Mick. In fact, uh, kicked a couple of bags to end the season uh, at, at Colts level for, for Subiaco. How do you see Lance? Yeah, he's polarised a few. There's no doubt about that. He He's raw talent at its absolute best. Mm. He... Um, you know, he averaged 11 disposals and three goals over the Colts competition here in WA. It's 32 for the year. So he, he certainly knows where the big sticks are. At his best, he's scintillating. He's absolutely brilliant. It's just a matter of Lance finding that level of consistency where he can get a genuine four-quarter effort. And he'll have those moments where he pops up and, um, you know, and certainly sets games alight. He was, he was ranked number one in the agility test at the NAB AFL draft combine at, um, with a time of, of eight minutes and 16 seconds. He mm. ran fourth in the 20-metre sprint. He was electric, 2.92 seconds, which is wow. absolutely flying. So he is an NGA product out of the West Coast Eagles, and we know the clubs can't match those bids inside the first 40 picks, and I'd imagine Lance will certainly draw some attention um, before we get to pick 40. So mm. he's, he's a big watch. He's, I'm not really 100% sure, Sam, and, and not willing to go out and say where he's going to fit in the draft because from a talent perspective, he certainly rates very, very highly. Um, it's just that level of consistency and, and probably a little bit of maturity that, um, that Lance will need to develop to put himself amongst the, um, the elite. I got a text here while we're talking, Mick. Connor O'Sullivan, best swing in the draft, 196 centimetres, huge tank, great hands, great character. Yeah, 100%. And this is the interesting part. We'll, um, you know, we'll chat about him when we get to the defenders in a, in a week's time, Sam. But there are a lot of questions being asked at the moment as to whether he can go forward, uh, whether he can potentially play that role. He was an unbelievable young talent in the back line and particularly across the under-18 championships this year. And he's got a very attacking nature. So, you know, he's one that we're going to talk about. He's certainly one that is going to feature very, very heavily in the in the top 10. Uh, not been spoken about a great deal, but he, um, 
he will attack at every opportunity. He makes the most of every opportunity. And um, and like you say, there are a number of people now starting to question whether he can be that that genuine swingman from defence to, uh, to attack. Well, Mick, before we let you go, I mean, they're all the names I've got written down. Have you got any others that we need to consider as we, we get close to the draft, just in regards to, to the forwards, or we covered them all off, do you think? Oh, I think I think we're pretty right, mate. I think you could probably throw in, um, you know, an interesting player, Arthur Reed. He's the, um, the, the another tall at two hundred and three centimetres out of the Gippsland Power. Mm. Reminds me a little bit of Todd Marshall in the way he plays. He, he's very laconic in the way he moves, but I, I say that with all due respect because he's just got that beautiful gliding nature about him. He he can absolutely lace players out when he's. He's outside 450 and, and hitting up leading forward. Very, very smart one-on-one. Um, got some nice late movement where he protects the ball drop. Um, and, you know, at a, when we talk tools, Sam, we're talking absolute running vertical jump, which is the height they can reach when they run and jump and, and stretch. He gets to 342 centimetres on both feet. So huh. you very rarely see a player that can jump off both feet and... He was ranked one of the highest at the combine for his uh, his absolute running vertical jump, and I think we can um, we can expect to see Archer Reed's name called out at some stage. Probably, I'd say on night two. Yeah, so that's the brother of Eston Zach, isn't it? Younger brother. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So uh, both very very tall boys. One generally playing in defence. In Zach and Archer, more of that. Um, you know, that, that creative forward that creates separation very easily on the lead. Awesome. Well, as you forecast, uh, Mick, next week as we continue our countdown, we'll uh, turn our attention to the stoppers, the key backs. As we saw in this year's trade period, they were going for a pretty penny. So if you can get one early uh, through the draft, you're on a winner. Appreciate it as always, mate, and awesome to have your insights as we get ready for the draft. No worries, mate. Look forward to chatting next week. There he is, Mick Ablett. He's a good man. He's our draft expert. Came down the draft later on this month. And a lot of people texting in, thank you. Kay Delarue, the son of the – he was a VFL star back in the day with Springvale. Ben Delarue, Norm Goss medal, best on ground, as Damien says here, in the 1998 VFL grand final. He also played in three premierships. Thanks for the multiple texts when it comes to Ben Delarue. Joe, Nick, the wizard Watson reminds me of Boomer Harvey. High possession, small forward mid with fast twitch fibres. Desperately hoping the doggies can snare him as he is the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And a laugh out loud there from Joe. Well, you got the land of the giants down there. You better bring in some smalls, Joe. Uh, Melbourne's weather today, cloudy, top of 17 degrees. Although the forecast leading in to uh, certainly the Cup on Tuesday and uh, the Spring Carnival, the four main days, we are going to be absolutely blessed. Some glorious weather coming up today. Nothing fancy. Cloudy, top of 17. That's for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. You know what we might do, just thinking of our, our chats with Mick Ablett, our draft expert, always so many of you are interested, and, and fair enough too, in regards to who your club might be taking and what's happening with certain players and certain picks. We've got a couple of shows left in us before the draft with Mick. So we're going to do the backs next week. We might even find an opportunity to window just for a big Q&A session with you off the 40 Winks text. We can fire anything you like in at Mick and we'll uh, hit him up with a few questions without notice. He is the guru. He's across everything. So that 40 Winks temper, 0433981116. I'd like to make that happen before the draft. I'm just uh, conscious of trying to get to as many of your questions as I can. Uh, Chris Anstey, not too far away. We'll talk all things 
things uh, NBL, NBA. Andy Harper, plenty happening uh, in football, both uh, domestically and abroad. Miles Fitzner and Ashling Sheridan still to come, thanks to McCafe, our official coffee partner. Also some footy to plug back into as well. Brody Grundy has spoken on leaving the Melbourne Football Club and Ben Mackay made some interesting comments on Channel 7 last night about moving to Essendon and what that does for him going forward. We know he's going to be well paid, but just the status difference that he touched on was interesting, I thought, moving from North Melbourne to the Bombers. Tune in this Sunday, 10 o'clock. This is your journey. I'm sitting down to chat to rugby league great, the Prince of Penrith, Greg Alexander. Brandy will join us. That's all thanks to Tobin Brothers celebrating lives. Manik Jews has got the headlines now. That's what that music means. Be back with some of your texts as well. Why aren't you going to the Spring Carnival? A few texts coming in. I'll read them out and more on the other side. Stick around. Monique, thank you. I was just talking about Flight Centre during the break, and you know why? Because their big red sale is now on. Limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays, and tours. Just book now to save big. Uh, just a cricket text here, David and Glenn Waverley, in regards to what they do with the lineup. I think the Aussies should play both Kerry and Inglis, David says. We need two keepers for when Stark sprays it all over the place. <laughs> I hadn't pre-read that, David. I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I thought that was legitimate text. Uh, hey, Sammy, $95 entry to the Melbourne Cup. No thanks. That's from Catter. And Ben in Adelaide, uh, please pass on my gratitude to the magic man. Archo Nacho has built my bank. For this weekend, I've just spied the magic man in the house. So we'll get him in to celebrate uh, the form of Archo Nacho when his time comes out of 11.20. But I want to talk about Brody Grundy as well. So what's it going to be now? Third club in three years, booted out of Collingwood, basically unwelcome at Melbourne, couldn't get into that side. And as he put, I think, as you're about to hear on Triple M, he just he's here to play senior AFL football. He's bound for the Swans, of course. This is Brody Grundy, uh, the big ruckman on leaving the Ds. Hand on heart, I yeah, don't have a bad word to say about Melbourne. I actually really enjoyed my, my time there, That's just good. my two hours on the weekend. Um, wasn't where I wanted to be, and I'm here to play AFL footy. Yeah. Playing VFL. Yeah, you know, it's pretty sobering when you when you get dropped. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile, and you know, for me, sort of getting towards the uh, end of my uh, career or closer towards the end, I want to be able to maximise uh, my time playing AFL footy. We just sort of had a uh, a mutual sort of conversation towards towards the end, and I just sort of spoke to Goody transparently, and we were having conversations all the way through, and yeah, it was probably again in in the best interest for for both parties. Now, he's a classy operator, Brody Grundy, and uh, he's never going to say – he's too smart. He's never going to say anything that's going to create a headline. But should he have a bad word to say about them? Surely he should because he was sold a vision that didn't transpire. He is a ruckman who wasn't able to play ruck come the business end of, of the season. They picked Josh Shackey ahead of him come the back end of the year effectively. So should he have had a bad word to say about them? So he's off now to a third club in three years. You'll never get it out of him, of course, because he's too good for that. And uh, he'll play a lot of senior football for Sydney. So it's a win-win at the end of the day, I suppose. But Melbourne basically wasting uh, a year for them and for the player himself. Ben Mackay. Now, this is really interesting, I think. Uh, The free agent High-profile, highly-paid, front-ended deal. Leaves a North Melbourne club that uh, in recent times has been under all level of scrutiny and criticism. Uh, Coaches being sacked, CEOs being sacked, a number one draft picks demanding out after a year in the job. All sorts of pressure. And yet Ben McKay lands at Essendon and he tells Channel 7 this. 
Essendon are right there. I think they're right around the corner from having success. The expectation is a privilege, I think, coming from North, where um, we're a young group and um, didn't have too much success. And we're on a different journey, but it's exciting to be a part of a team that you know, has some, some pressure on it, I think. The main reason why I came to Essendon wasn't the money thing, but I think it's part of the industry that these things come out a little bit. Exciting to join a team that has some pressure on it. Now, he is talking wins and losses there, but gee whiz, he is leaving a club that has had almost unparalleled pressure on it in the last half a dozen years. It was a stack going around, was there not, that he'd had just as many coaches as wins in his career at North Melbourne. So if that's not pressure, I'm not sure what is. Uh, just quickly, let's go to North Caulfield, where Richard's called in in regards to Brody Grundy's move to the Swans. G'day, Rich. Uh, hello, Sam. Um, I'm a Collingwood supporter, so... From where I see Brodie Grundy, <clears throat> and I love him as a player at Collingwood, he should have a bad word to say about his management, to be quite frank. I, you know, the Paddy Steele patted themselves on the back with this big monster deal at Collingwood that was mm. really unrealistic for what he was. And then uh, the next place to go, you know, you saw that that documentary, they're almost laughing at the fact he's going to Melbourne. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I take what you're saying with the Melbourne and and his management group, Connor Sports, put a lot of time and effort into putting their players in the right spot. So I take your criticism of the Melbourne move on board, but we we surely can't criticise his management company, Richard, for getting him the best the best deal that Collingwood did sign off on in good faith. Oh, Collingwood is culpable. That Ned Ned guy was named is as culpable as anyone. I'm glad he's not at the club. I mean, the guy left the club and look what happened. So yeah, there was... more credit to Graham Wright to, for having the the, the, the experience and, and basically the gumption for making the right call for the club. But goodness me, you know, it just it shows if you're going to take the money, you've got to walk the walk. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was a lot going on with Brodie Grundy at that time. There was board influence as well and the, the club was split on what to do with him given what they were going to get back from Adelaide in a trade was going to be handsome as well. Like in the end, they decided to keep him, but in the end, yeah, you're right. He was hostage to that contract that uh, that he signed seven years at about a million dollars a season, as we know. Good on you, Richard. Thanks for, for calling in. Um, in fact, good call from you, Rich. Hang on the line. I'll, I'll sling you that double pass to see the Collingwood superstars, given you are of the premiership, uh, the premiership pie persuasion. And you can see Braden Maynard and Jeremy Howe. That's at the Manhattan Hotel, Wednesday, 8th of November, thanks to authentic autographs and events. If you are still on the line, we'll sort you out with those. Andrew's in Nidri. You want to talk about Benny Mackay. How are you, Andy? Yeah, uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, just quickly for you, um, I think he just looked at the expectations of Essendon supporters over the 20 years of being a dysfunctional side and, yep. and the there to win games. Um, and I think he wants to take the challenge on, which is fantastic. Yeah, well, when you lose for as often as, as he has, I mean, sometimes you need a, a fresh start. And the free agency trigger, as we know, um, you know, he won't. He's certainly not the first, and he certainly will not be the last. Andrew and the paycheck is pretty handy as well. Half million was it one and a half million dollars? I'll, I'll take a uh, hundred dollars of that. If you, yeah, as a supporter, it'd be nice if he can just shout a bit, a few dollars around. Yeah, but good. he won't. But uh, no, yeah. he won't. Good on you, Andrew. Appreciate the call. Uh, had Brody been able to adapt better, says Ian, uh, on his forward craft, he'd have been playing every week. He showed himself to be a ruckman first and foremost. From Melbourne's perspective, they had a great backup for Max for the year. It didn't work. We all move on. Um, keep your texts coming through. It is 0433 98 11 16. Temper a mattress like no other. Uh, the McCaffrey menu takes us to Chris Anstey next. We're going to talk some NBA. We're going to talk some 
NBL, Melbourne United flying at the top of the NBL ladder and LeBron James just turning on an absolute clinic against the Clippers yesterday to break that losing sequence against their cross-town rivals. So we'll talk to Chris Anstey next. He's played in the NBL, played in the NBA, done it all. Uh, That's coming up on the McCafe menu. And make sure you join us at the Osborne Rooftop and Bar at uh, Bar South Yarra, that is, for the ultimate Melbourne Cup Day celebration this coming Tuesday. Back on the Captain's Run right after this. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. I work on my body every day. I work on my mind every day to be able to be available to my teammates. And uh, this was three and four nights for us. And we were short body, no Rui. Um, late scratch for Tori uh, uh, Prince. Uh, no Gabe Vincent. We've been on Bando for the season so far. Uh, and everybody had to step up and ask. And so, um, you know, big win for us. And I'm happy I was able to contribute a little bit. Big win, big performance. LeBron James, the Lakers getting it done over the Clippers. Been a long time since they've been able to do that. Chris Anstey's a two-time NBL MVP, a three-time title winner. Spent several seasons over there in the NBA as well. Chris, welcome aboard. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Sam. And no, it's it's always interesting. Yeah, you do a lot of talk around LeBron James and, and his record-breaking season and they talked about a minute restriction this season that lasted one mm. game. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, he, and, he's, and he's just playing up near 40 minutes a game. But he's, he's been incredible. It's just it's a joy to watch. He's basically 50, isn't he? I mean, how's he, how's he still doing this? 35 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, and an overtime win over the Clips, as I said. So how he touched on it there. He works on his body, works on his mind. Some guys are just freaks. He's 38 for the record, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's right. And there's a lot that's been spoken about the investment he makes into his body. And yeah, he's always in the conversation about one of the greatest players of all time. But I think one thing that he probably will go down as is probably the best longevity and the ability to perform at such a high level for so long. I don't think there have been too many players who have been able to compete at the level he has at his age. And to carry a team like he has been, and uh, it's just incredible to watch. James Harden watched on. I'm assuming he's going to suit up soon. He has said his role in Philadelphia was like being on a leash. So all sorts of bad blood out of that trade. But what did you make of it all in the end, in the in the final wash-up? I'd probably sit in the camp where I don't know why any NBA team would want James Harden. You know, he's, he's quit on his last three teams. And mm. it was really interesting. There's a, there was a little video that, that went around of, of James Harden walking into the, the Clippers locker room and the playing group reluctantly, you hardly lifted their heads reluctantly, Russell Westbrook got up and it was just, it was almost like you know, alright, here we go. They certainly didn't, he didn't seem like the sort of guy that the, that the other teammates wanted in their locker room. So look, uh, I, I, oh, it's a tricky one with James Harden. He's come out and said his goal to win the championship with the Clippers. Well, you would have assumed it would have been that with all of the other teams he's been on too, but uh, he's walked out on the last three, so I'm not a big fan of the trade. I'm, I'm glad for Philadelphia, they, probably that they got rid of him, but uh, it's going to be a really interesting watch uh, at the Clippers. Yeah, so he, he joins, uh, I'm getting deja vu here, because he joins, you know, potentially four Hall of Famers here, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook as well. But it was deja vu to the Brooklyn Nets days, wasn't it? Because that had all the hallmarks of um, of fitting all the superstars into one team, and obviously that didn't work out so well. Yeah, it does. And uh, teams can look good on paper, but the, the four players you just mentioned, a little bit unlike LeBron, they've had injury concerns. They're past their prime, you would argue, with all four of them. But I suppose the, the, the only benefit I can see with having James Harden on that team is 
outside of Russell Westbrook, they're not going to be a high-paced team. So he fits that style of play well. It's an ageing roster. They're all out of contract after this year. So the club will have a choice to make. You know, Do mm. they renew contracts? Do they cut them all loose? Again, it's a fascinating watch, but I, I can't see it ending well. I want to talk NBL with you, of course, but I've got, a, a Chris, a bit of a Victor Wembanyama obsession. Now, he... He's having a typically up-and-down start to his career, but his physiology, so 224 centimetres, the way he moves, his wingspan, his reach, and his highlight reel is already impressive. What do, you, what do you make of this guy and his characteristics? You know what? I was on a radio show last week, and I described him as a generational talent, and a lot of people, I got a bunch of messages saying well, that's a term that's too easily thrown around, but I don't think we've ever seen... Well, Shaquille O'Neal would argue he thinks we've seen that type of talent Um in Bol Bol, you know, same sort of talent, but he said Bol Bol doesn't work hard. Um, Victor Wembanyama does, but we just haven't seen seven foot three in any generation that mm. has this skill set and the work ethic that he does. So, look, he's so lean and he's got a lot of developing to do physically, but his skill set's incredible. He's not going to physically dominate anyone for at least a few years, but. Geez, when he hits his peak in however long that is, three or four years, I'd, he's got to be one of the best players in the league if his body holds up. Yeah, it's going to be amazing to watch unfold. How did the Celtics drop 155 on the paces yesterday, by the way? The third high score all time. Yeah, I, I was again, I was one of the ones that think that Drew Holiday is an upgrade on Marcus Smart, and then they added Chris Stapps to Zingas. I, I like the roster they've put together. I like the support they've, they've given Jason Tatum. Um they have four you know, stars, superstars, whichever category you'd like to put them in. And they've been so close to the, the last few years that they're driven, it would seem, to take that to take that final step and, and, and win another championship. So they've been really impressive on the offensive end. I think you know, Paul Zingas sits in the same category as a lot of those lean bigs that if he can keep on the court and stay injury-free, which he's beginning to do... Mm. Uh, we we tend to forget how talented he was, and you know, when he came into the league at the New York Knicks, he was his nickname was a unicorn because we hadn't seen what he was doing before. But uh, he's going to help that group. We're speaking of three-time NBL title winner Chris Anstey. Chris, what have you made of oh, the NBL season taking shape? Of course, Melbourne United, the runaway pace setter uh, at the moment at eight and one, but got enough of body of work now to get a read on things. What do you make of it? Exactly that. United have clearly been the best team and they've, they've played the last couple of weeks without Matthew Delavadova, who mm. sounds like he'll play this Monday coming back from concussion and we just hope that he's going okay. And outside of that, you throw a blanket over six or seven teams. I, I still think Adelaide and Illawarra sit all the way down towards the bottom and having said that, New Zealand sit there at the moment. But um, I figure they'll climb their way up. But... Uh, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix were going along nicely. It just seems that any time a, a team goes along nicely that's not named United, they find a way to trip over themselves and lose a couple in a row. But it's a, it's a fascinating season. Um, I have no idea who'll make the top six and get to that play. And I think United have probably already done enough to almost secure a top two spot. I, I can't see them losing enough games to fall from the top two already. But um I wouldn't say it's their championship to lose. I think the Sydney Kings, once they gel, are going to be extraordinarily mm. tough. Um, outside of that, oh, it's, it's, it's hard to pick a winner. Yeah, and you mentioned the Phoenix just before we depart. Uh, they went down last night to the Bullets and, 
Aaron Baines, uh, that match, uh, the headlines belong to him, uh, returning from that five-game suspension. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the time away. Yeah, you know, I, I always think when an incident like the one that happened occurs, there's always uh, there's something else going on outside of basketball. So the, those close to him hope Baines is okay and doing well, and hopefully the time away from the group and off the court helped settle him down a little bit. But mm. uh, I think it was a, it was a really average incident. It was a good result that he got some time away and. Nice to see him back on the floor. Yeah, no, well said. Hey, mate, really appreciate you taking the time, as always. Always great to have your insights uh, in the game, both here and and overseas. Uh, Have yourself a good day, mate. Enjoy the, the weekend of action. Will do. Cheers. There's Chris Anstey there, Australian basketball great, joining us on the line. Off the text, uh, LeBron's only three years older than Curry, Durant, uh, all in their prime. Athletes are hitting prime later than ever. It's a good point. LeBron is 38, not 98. Messi, Ronaldo, Djokovic, Federer, all athletes around that age who still dominated or are still dominating. Come on. Age doesn't dilute performance when 38 in general is youth. Perception of age needs to change. That's, uh, Kelly Slater is 53. Well, maybe there's something to be said for modern medicine, modern science, better practices, um, looking after yourself and all the things we know now that work for longevity probably goes into it as much as anything. I wasn't trying to smash LeBron James either, by the way. I was more the opposite. I was praising him by virtue of the fact that he hasn't seemingly dropped off one iota in his late 30s. I will take a break. By the way, NBA 2K24 is out. Now, we'll see you on the court. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. And it's time for a motorsport update. Thanks to Shell V Power Fuel, the race day feeling. It's the Sao Paulo Grand Prix in Brazil. I'd love to go to that, the Brazilian Grand Prix. So it's Monday, 4 a.m. our time. It's a bit rude. Uh, Max Verstappen, runaway leader, of course, cannot be beaten. Won about 80,000 races in a row for the Red Bull. However... Toto Wolff of Mercedes, have they got reason to be optimistic? So Lewis has run second behind Max in the last two uh, events. Austin, Mexico, he was later disqualified from the United States Grand Prix, but the pace is there and they've got a good recent record in Sao Paulo as well. So they've won six of the last eight races in Brazil and the last two. But all that was put to Toto Wolff, the Mercedes boss, and he responded... Only fools are optimists. I'd rather stay with both feet on the ground. So some words of wisdom there from Toto Wolff, uh, the German who heads up the Mercedes program. Uh, so that's all to come thanks to Shell V-Power, fueling the racing feeling with the Shell V-Power racing team. Uh, this music means Monique Jews is up with the latest rounds of headlines. And after that... Andy Harper. Love our catch-ups with Andy Harper. He's going to headline our final hour before the magic man enters the studio. Miles Fitzner and Ashling Sheridan to come. Thanks to McAfee. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Welcome back. Hope you got through the working week well. You're just about there. I'm really looking forward to the weekend. Probably a long weekend for a lot of you with a cup in store on Tuesday. We're into our final hour and what a way to headline it. Love catching up with this man to talk all things football as Channel 10's expert. And he's our expert here. His name's Andy Harper. G'day, Harps. Welcome aboard. Sam, how are you, mate? Going magnificently after watching uh, three Matildas routes. I mean, a successful three games over there in Perth, Andy. I know you kept a very close eye on them. Big crowds, big goals. And I guess while the degree of difficulty will be turned up, this was a nice little postscript to the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was, actually. Um, These games can be difficult. Um, As we saw in the first and third instalment, Western United's Mark Takaso, coach of the Philippines, will have learned 
um, a, a really important lesson in his first serious international hit out with the Philippines. He's doing both jobs, of course. Um, having watched the frustration that Iran and then Chinese Taipei were able to inflict, and the resistance was was uh, significant, and the Philippines might have made it a, a little bit more difficult for Australia in that middle game. But but for the Matildas over the three games, there's a, a lot achieved, some players breaking through. Mm. Uh, if there was any doubt beforehand, there is no doubt now that um, the, the, the next generation of Matildas will be spearheaded by the wonder that is Mary Fowler. Um, just fantastic. Just fantastic. Yep. 13 goals scored, none conceded. So as far as what we saw on the pitch, an out-and-out success. Now, the A-League men's, we've got our first sacking. It only took round two to get there, Andy. So, And this is two games two A-League games since Melbourne City featured in a grand final, but they've uh, sacked Rado Vidisic. Where do you sit with this? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a break from the normal way uh, that the City Football Group do things. Um, you know, they've, they've resisted temp, the tempest before of an underperforming team or a series of bad results. Um, but when you so say a series of bad results, how many bad results have there been? Two, three? Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, that's this year. I mean, the, the the grand final didn't sit well. That was a big day for the club, huge day for the club, mm. um, and, and a complete capitulation, uh, which was not to take, I should hasten to add anything away from the Mariners. They were just magnificent that day. But still, uh, a City Football Group team, and there's a few of them around the planet, as we know, um, and that doesn't sit with a 6-0 defeat. And so that's obviously been rumbling away. Um, you know, there were, there were question marks about the move of Rado Vidasic into the top job when Paddy Kuznorbo left. Mm. Um, and, you know, he, he managed to keep those discussions at bay by maintaining, basically maintaining the team's momentum. But it totally came unstuck in that grand final, and it's obviously been lingering since. So, um, it, interestingly, at both of the re- these recent, relatively recent junctures, it's been the Mariners who've been the team. There was a... Um, uh, a couple of years ago, Patikas Norbo away to the Central Coast Mariners, I think it was inflicted their third defeat in a row. And mm. a lot of the talk around uh, then was whether Patrick Kuznorbo would see out his time. And of course, history records that not only did he see out his time, he, he did very, very well. Um, no such patience afforded Rado this time. One six nil, you can probably just leave with a little bit of reflux in the system. Uh, such close to two six uh, goal concessions is way too much for him to bear, evidently. So he's uh, been given the flick. Yeah, so it was 2-1 first up to Western United. They went down around one of this new season, and then the, the 6-0 hammering was by Adelaide United on Sunday. But around two sacking, is a question that I wasn't prepared to ask you, but has there been an earlier sacking than that in A-League history, like round two, Andy? No, there hasn't been. But, of course, that's if you look at it as, as the Separately. whole starting. Yeah. yeah. And, and the point of this is, there's the hangover from last year. So this is not a two-game. Uh, this, this is not you know, no. being hung after two yep. games. Um, nevertheless, just for what it is, we haven't seen one this early in the season. No. Oh, actually, we have seen a more dramatic one. I remember. <laughs> Branko Kalina was sacked by Nathan Tinkler before the season had started. Right. The <laughs> that's a, that's one pretty early. <laughs> the season started. So he didn't even get to lose the game that's before pretty, he was gone, Branko. That's, that's so pretty early. just come to Mm. <laughs> so, Aurelio Vidmar will be hoping uh, that he fares a little bit better. So, he's the interim manager. It's a long interim stint. He's basically 
he's committed at least until the end of this season, unless unless things really go south. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen with Aurelio. Um, but, of course, Rado was an interim until they tied him down for yep. a longer haul because they were happy with the way things were going. Look, things can change very quickly, and he'd be a coach. It's a very peripatetic existence. Uh, oh. Aurelio's coaching career it completely exemplifies that. Um, yeah, he's been around too long to expect anything long-term out of this, but mm. it's a great opportunity for him to get back into the local orbit with a very well-resourced program. I mean... Once you're coaching Melbourne City, yeah, there's a lot of expectation, but you, one can't complain about a lack of resources, um, uh, which which a lot of the A-League club coaches still have to confront. Uh, not so at Melbourne City. There's a, there's a global network of IP into which one can tap, training facilities, uh, support, players don't go without. So all those bases are covered for Aurelio, um, and, and now it's up to him and his ability to steer this team of very good footballers towards the, the, the north end of the table, which is where they expect to be. Yeah, so just on that, and I was playing devil's advocate to some degree with Rado earlier, um, but how have they got themselves in this position, Andy? Well, you know, foot, there's no guarantees in football. I mean, you know, how, first of all, let's, let's look at the mothership, Manchester City. With all the investment, how long has it taken them mm to build the, the, the constant model of success that they're now enjoying. And then the question must be is, how sustainable is that model when Pep Guardiola leaves? And so when, when you distill all this sort of stuff, um, you need to build your football club around a solid base of resourcing, and the City Football Group can guarantee that. Uh, owners with money can guarantee that. What you can't guarantee uh, is the people and the chemistry between the people is going to work. Um, if it was all so predictable, sport would be incredibly boring. Look at Manchester United. Again, I, I, mm. my interest is in the local league, but these are two great examples. Where have Manchester United been with all their resourcing and their global power as arguably the number one football brand on the planet, at least you know over the last decade and a half, if not at the moment, since Alex Ferguson left? H- how do you plan for this? How do you plan... For the, for the absence. It's just impossible. So this is the fascination of it. And, and maybe Man- and Melbourne City are, are going through that in their own uh, sense now. Um, and, you know, they'll be working really hard to make sure they get the right person in charge, as every club has to do, because personalities are so key in this game. And until AI is completely running the world, including our sport, then the human element will remain this thing that you can't actually mm. completely manage. Yep, until it does. That's right. Hey, Manchester United, I want to come back to because uh, they're in a fair bit of strife under Eric Ten Hag. But stay domestic for a moment. Melbourne victory. Two f- Actually, just on City, winless and bottom um, before we leave them, if you don't mind, Andy. Yeah. And then Sydney FC, winless and second bottom. And they play at Amy yeah. Park tonight. I mean, this, this, I dare say, wasn't the Friday night clash that we might have anticipated <laughs> when the fixture came yeah. out. No, I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, but but it's got its interest now for a whole heap of different reasons, albeit unexpected ones. Yes, morbid ones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think the bigger questions are over Melbourne City than Sydney FC, where I, um, um, because Sydney, Melbourne City showed very little in the uh, before the comp started through the Australia Cup. In fact, um, I watched closely the game. Uh, the Metro Stars out of Adelaide uh, against Melbourne City. And City were very, very fortunate to get through that game. Very fortunate. I thought this was one of the better performances uh, of an NPL club against an A-League club in the Australia Cup. And there have been a few of them. There have been a few of them. 
Um, and I thought Melbourne City, by the skin of their teeth, got through that one. They weren't that impressive uh, through the cup. Uh, and you can't say the same for Sydney FC. Uh, with all that objectivity, they had in on on route to to winning the Australia Cup, they had to beat more A-League opposition um, than any other club, any of the other A-League clubs, uh, and including a last, a really last-second escape in their first game of the round of 32 against the Mariners. I mean, Sydney could have been extinguished then. But what we saw through the Cup, particularly in the Cup final, um, means to me that coming into this Friday night clash, not what the, the orchestrators of the draw had in mind, <laughs> but Sydney come in with a little bit more of a spring in their step uh, because of that, Melbourne City have not shown much form at all outside of the Champions League. Did a different set of circumstances, uh, and the club, you know, should be re- congratulated for, for setting themselves up so nicely in the Champions League. But how often do we see in football, you know, form in one comp doesn't translate to form necessarily in another. And fighting fires on two fronts can be difficult. Uh, and they've found after two games, Melbourne City, the home front. Is, is burning a little bit out of control. I need to stop that tonight. A Melbourne victory, two from two under Popper, Tony Popovich, who would have, Andy, oh, would have had to have come in under a fair bit of pressure given the way last season unfolded. Huge pressure. Mate, huge pressure on the field and huge pressure in the boardroom. Mm. I mean, you know, the financial situation of Melbourne victory for so long, the flag bearer and the pride and joy of the league was pretty laid bare, um, has been laid bare over the last 12 months and, you know, they've had two disastrous seasons in the last three. They can't afford to have another one this year um, on the field or off the field. And, and you know, we uh, the, the league needs Melbourne victory. It desperately needs Melbourne victory. Uh, like any big competition, needs its big teams. You know, and that's true of the AFL and the Rugby League and, and in Spain and Italy and England. It's the big clubs that drive the business of the leagues. Mm. And Melbourne victory is the biggest. And and the league and football in Australia, um, despite the tribal rivalries that go around this, of course, and we love those, but you know, anyone who says Melbourne victory isn't uh, central to the success of the A-League isn't, isn't really tuned into what's needed. Now, that doesn't mean they have to win every year. But by guys, we can't afford them to have another year like last year. Yeah, and it was 5-3 over Newcastle. Gee, this is entertaining. Uh, the aptly named Bruno Fornaroli, given he, he found the back of the net four times. What about that Rabona? Yeah. Well, you know, he's done two at Amy Park. He did one in the golden, in my, by my recollection, the golden years of Melbourne City uh, when they had that Harry Navio, Aaron Moy, Bruno Fornaroli triumvirate just just yep. running rough shots through the comp. And he did a magnificent Rabona pass on halfway in a flowing counter-attack, which resulted in a stunning goal. And then he's done this last week. I, I can't speak highly enough of my admiration over the years for Bruno Fornaroli. Um, I'd be, I, I think I can speak on a lot of people's behalf and think maybe the flame had gone out. You know, maybe Father Time had, had consigned um, Bruno to perhaps a bit part contribution here and there. And I can't say how happy I am that a player of his stature, uh, his humility what he's provided for Australian football fans came back with a bang last week. It was fantastic. I really hope he can push on and, and, and be in the top goal-scoring considerations this year because what he's delivered so far deserves no less. Yeah, geez, it sets the scene nicely for tomorrow night back at Amy, doesn't it? Because they've got the top of the table, uh, Adelaide, which should be an absolute cracker. Um, let's quickly talk EPL before we leave you, Andy. The return of Maurizio Pochettino 
to Tottenham. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea Spurs this weekend, always a big occasion. It's Tuesday, I think, 7 a.m. our time, the kickoff, and just Spurs. That's how they're introduced now. So these games are big anyway, and then you throw Maurizio into the mix. Yeah, and of course, Ange. I mean, you know, there were people enthralled by the start of the season of Tottenham, uh, equally who are waiting for Ange to slip or the team to slip. Um, and Chelsea haven't convinced anyone yet. It's been a, a difficult opening phase of the season for Pochettino. Uh, but a London derby can bring out the necessary best of the Chelsea team to have a crack at Tottenham. It's a big challenge. For Tottenham, of course, who now have have the big target on their back, and no one expected that coming into this season. Uh, and you know, there, there were the, the tall poppy syndrome. It's not confined to Australia. You know, there's a lot of people waiting for this the upstart Postacoglu to get his comeuppance. Um, and obviously, he'll he'll know that Ange, and he'll be uh, not phased by it. In fact, he'll oh, I dare say welcome the challenge. But nevertheless, there'll be people. You know, looking at very, there will be a lot of cynical people just waiting for the time when the Spurs thing grinds to a halt, and they'll be hoping, expecting it's going to start this weekend, particularly those who are of the Chelsea hue. But I don't see it coming anytime quickly. I think it's going to be a mighty clash. Pochettino's an outstanding operator. Um, uh, quite how much longer he's going to expect of himself before Chelsea gets going, mm. the way he wants them remains to be seen. Um, it's certainly going to be worth tuning in for this one. I want to leave you with uh, Manchester United. Uh, as big a brand in the game as there is across the globe, uh, they lost their last two games 3-0, and I think they've lost eight from 15 matches in all competitions this season. So how much strife is uh, old Eric Ten Hagen, do you think? Well, I don't think he's got a lot of political capital left. Uh, I, I think he earned a lot of plaudits. A very, very tumultuous set of circumstances with the way he moved Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. on. yeah. Um, and by securing the club's first trophy in a long time last year, winning the League Cup and finishing an incredible uh, position in the league. Uh, and Ten Hag suggested by his reputation that he was going to do that. What's gone on since then, God only knows. I mean, it, it's a catastrophe at the moment. And I use that word only in sporting terms with no relation to the disaster that's going on in the world at the yeah, moment. But yeah. in sporting terms, it's a catastrophe. Uh, he does He does look a little idealist at the moment. I'm not quite sure he's got too many games left before he can find something. I mean, they've lost 8 of 15 matches this year. If you continue on a losing record, which is not going to happen because they'll sack him before then, he's got to start turning this into a, into a winning record. If he doesn't, uh, and the club is prepared because of this off-field sales saga with, with Radcliffe, um, uh, and the club... You just look at the numbers, eight losses out of 15. You continue on that path, you're in the, by definition, the bottom half of the table and then potentially staving off relegation. I mean, whoever would have put relegation and Manchester United in the same sentence? Now, <laughs> they're a long way off from that. But what I'm saying is <laughs> they can't afford to let it get to that point if Ten Hag has, has just lost it totally. Yeah. And at the moment, a manager of his quality, I, I respectfully suggest that's not the case. But he's in all manner of trouble at the moment, and it's going to call. He'll have to call upon all his quality and resource to turn this ship around in a very short period of time. Andy, just awesome to chat as always, mate. Appreciate you being so generous with your time. We've got the morbid curiosity that is tonight's kickoff between uh, Melbourne City and Sydney FC. That's at seven forty-five. And Amy, and big weekend overseas as well. I'm looking forward to Spurs and Chelsea on the Tuesday morning. Uh, enjoy it all, mate. I know you will. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, it's on Paramount Plus tonight, and there is something fascinating about a train crash which does attract 
a lot of ghoulish fascination. So tune in. Paramount Plus it is. Andy Harper there, our Channel 10 Paramount Plus football expert, joining us as he does each and every week on the Captain's Run. Melbourne's weather today, cloudy, top of 17, nothing to write home about. That's for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and the inner suburbs. What we can write home about, though, is what's coming up next. A little sprinkling of magic. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Oh my goodness me, we are in the presence of racing royalty here and it's uh, there's no better place to be on the eve of the most pivotal week in racing for the year. The ultimate Melbourne Cup Day at the Osborne South Yarra provides us with a backdrop to our taste of magic this Friday. Miles Fitznart, you are white hot and you are also here. Welcome. Hello, mate. Uh, hello to the listeners. Hopefully the last week or so has been uh, has been good. Well, Archo Nacho. Now, we got a text earlier uh, from someone saying thanks for helping pay off their mortgage. That's how well Archo Nacho has gone and you tipped us in. So we went the, the four best at Mooney Valley. Um, um, the first two ran second, bad luck, admittedly. Um, and then we had Romantic Warrior in as the main play in the Cox Plate. But the said, we said the one we've been waiting for and we said go now because it was around $485, jumped to... 70 bolted in but I was, I was the one that really I was happy with that I got a few texts off your show was remember you asked me for one that day or that night at Mooney Valley Mooney, yep. and I said don't bet there have everything you were going to bet at Mooney Valley on successful in the last at Bathurst Bathurst, and then that one so then hopefully that rolled in for some money for Cox Plate Day so and hang on but you weren't you weren't done there either because you took your talents and your magic to the regional frontier and you went four from four at, at the Bendigo Cup. Yeah, Bendigo Cup. Bang! Bang! <laughs> we had a good uh, we had a good Wednesday, but you're only as good as your last. And look, it gets harder. Um, I finished at two a.m. last night. I started at six a.m. this morning, and um, you, you've got to put the time in. It gets really hard now, and that's we're going to explain it in a little yeah, bit about yeah. how you've got to be careful where you play this time of year. And that might address Cam in Churnside Park because his text just dropped. He now he's after you to carve your magic and give us, he says, a, a nice three-leg multi for the following. Goolmore, the Cup, and the Champions Mile. Oh, if I did, look, three wild races, I'm unstoppable to place, Vorban to place, mm. Antino to place, hope for the best in those three. All right, now you've got a strategy of this, which we'll get to in a moment, but we've arrived at the magnificent VRC Carnival Derby Day tomorrow, of course. Three Group 1s, the best of them is the Coolmore for the three-year-olds. What a race. So this sort of addresses Cam's text a bit. Who do you like in the Coolmore? Look, I, I've I've sort of found a couple of horses, especially one I think at double figures that would should run well, and I'm unstoppable, drawn wide for, for Lloyd Kennewell and Lucy Yeomans. I like how this horse goes into this race. There's going to be a lot of people with cylinder, $4.60, a lot of people with Shinzo out of the um, uh, sort of slipper and, and slash Everest form. Um, l- look, this is crazy. Now, now the Coolmore, the Derby and the, the Golden Rose, they're, they're awfully difficult. So mm. V8 can win at $21. Um, I'm with I'm Unstoppable each way at $10 and $3.30, but I wouldn't talk you out of cylinder, Shinzo, King's Gambit, Um or even Tis Invincible at $17. So, yet, look, I'm unstoppable on top, maybe a little little one on Tis Invincible, and then hope for the best, but they're crazy races. So, yep. 
that that that's about as good as I can do. And forget Archer and Archo. Evans dropped us a text. Miles, I still haven't f- uh, gotten past Fenton. What a tip, Fenton! Yeah, double figures. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> Fenton. That's right. Now the Derby betting uh, is being absolutely dominated by the Waller trained and the J Mac ridden Riff Rocket. Beaten at very short quote last start. So does he make amends? I look the way he hit the line. I don't think so. I'm happy to take him on. A two dollars twenty in a Derby is way too short. A Pulia for me won the Vars. Rock hard fit. Uh, the horse is flying. Apulia on top. I think Gates will run a big race at $12. And don't rule out the provincial horse in roguery at 41s. But Apulia on top, once again, which we'll explain shortly, it's about staking. I'll have a bet Apulia and a little one on Gates, but I'm not betting a lot into these races. All right, before we get to your strategy, we need to go up to staking kidney, the $10 million golden eagle. Now, your your pin-up mare, Amelia's Jewel, disappointed last start to rack at Caulfield. So she's favourite, of course, but is... I mean, this is a race full of depth. So yeah. sticking fat? Yeah, look, yes. At $4, you could probably have your saver on her. I think Kovalika at $9 and $2.80 currently from a wide draw on a day where I think the sting's going to be out of the track. Is performed on the heavy is probably the main play. Um, wouldn't talk anyone out of Hawaii 5 Pericles, Golden Mile, um, uh, or Ruthless Dame or Legato, right? Mm. So they can all win. Um, probably each way Kovalika, small, save Amelia's jewel. What about Nadal for Coolmore just coming through off the Yeah, Nadal, chance. Mm. I'd, I'd have it in your quaddie. Uh, this is why, and we, we probably should touch on it now because I keep saying we'll do it later. People make the mistake at spring carnival time, as in they bet their biggest bets in the Group 1 races. Now, I know that they're the most entertaining, and so the Melbourne Cup, Coolmore's, Golden Eagles, this – they are the most entertaining. They're the big races. But th- this is why normal people, and I say normal people with all due respect, is don't make money punting because they stake the same in the really tough group ones as they do on a best in a BM78 on the same day. So my best bets are all around these big races tomorrow um, because I can make money on this day, but I'll stake very small on the hard ones mm. and I'll stake larger on the races around it. Ascot, Eagle Farm, Morfittville, and I'll make money that way. And that's the biggest mistake punters make right around the country is that if they have $50 on a horse that they love as their best bet in race one at Eagle Farm, then they go and have $50 or $100 in the hardest race of the day in the Coolmore. That's why they lose and lose continuously. But this is what this is the time of the year where you're getting the once-a-year punters as well, of course. Correct. So we all want to know. As I'm going to ask you, who's going to win the cup? <laughs> well, look, you have to. I've got a futures. Can't ticket. let you go without I've that. I've got a futures ticket on Vorben. I, I mentioned it here a while ago. I think there's a couple of roughies in the race yep. um, in um, Right You Are and Akita Sushi, but Vorben and without a fight, Vorben on top. I've got the futures ticket. Without a fight and Sulkham are a hope, but the roughies are Akita Sushi and Right You Are. The Vorban owner, I don't know his name, uh, looks like a fascinating fella. I saw him on the, the breakfast TV shows this morning. A curious operator, isn't he? Yep, they, they and they are, and they're here for one reason, and that's to take the cup, and they're going to be mighty, mighty hard to beat. Uh, best bets from around the country, maybe uh, we'll start tomorrow. What, what I will do is I'll just explain. There's an article going up on SEN. I've got 11 bets that I think over five states tomorrow. I'm not going to read them all out now. There's an article going up on SEN a little bit later on. SEN.com.au? Yep, and you can go to the track hub there at the bottom of the SEN app and you can click tips and you can see everything that I've made my best bet right around Australia. Bang. But I'll, some, I'll go through quickly. Rose Hill, race four, number two, shoe high. Race four, number two. And then race 10, number three, way to the stars. So four, two, 
10-3 at Rose Hill. Flemington, race four, number five, triple missile, smallish. Mm. And race five, number one, Zardozzi, the best there. So 4-5 at Flemington, 5-1. Morfordville, race four, number nine, Lights of Broadway. I've got a couple of others there. They'll be up on the app and in the article. Eagle Farm, race one, number four, Liquor. Um, but there's two more there. And Ascot, race two, number six, Malakar Pindari. And I've got three more there at Ascot, and that is where we're going to make our money. We are going to make our money at Ascot, Eagle Farm, and Morfordville tomorrow. You've got some great intensity in your eyes at the moment. I'm, I'm, is, I'm in the zone. This is. <laughs> but I'm trying to explain to people that, that I, I really want you to make. I'm trying to help you if yep. you do have a bet to make money. This is not about coming and declaring horses. If you're declaring horses in the Coolmore, the Derby or any of that tomorrow, it's ir- like it's you're being irresponsible. They're very, very hard races, and they're hard for a reason. Is there anything today that we should be aware of? Oh, okay. Mooney Valley tonight, right? The first. This is the only bet I'm having at Mooney Valley tonight. There's a horse in race one, number three, Ben Will and J.D. Hayes called Mr. Charismatic. Mr. Charismatic. Now, this is... Um, uh, a horse that costs a bit of money, races in the Hayes colours, might have a very, very good relation. Um, Mr. Charismatic, $4.40, $1.70. Each way, make sure you have enough on the place that you get your money back. That's the only bet I'm having tonight at Mooney Valley. Race one, number three, Mr. Charismatic. Just only had to twist your arm just a wee little yeah, you bit. Yeah, did. Fitzy's- all- so Fitzy's form lounge yes, coming up. we we'll run through the lot. But just remember, the SEN article will go up. And if you do want to see all my best, there's 11 of them. They're the best. Not all the tips, just the best. Don't knock me that they're favourites. They're favourites for a reason. They're all up on an SEN track article later today. You are in fine form. Fitzy's Form Lounge, midday SEN track. Make sure you join us at the Osborne rooftop as well and the Bar South Yarra for the ultimate Melbourne Cup Day celebration. That's where uh, you do some of your finest celebrating there, Milo. What's gambling really costing you? Free and confidential support. Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Next time we speak, full dissection. We can go right through and you live and die by the sword. Well, at the moment, you are living. No doubt about that. (laughs) Uh, As is Monique Jew. She's in the newsroom. And seemingly just like that, the 10th and final home and away round of the AFLW season is upon us. And in what has been an incredibly tight season, just one game separates third from 10th, setting the scene for a potentially dramatic weekend of action. Now, Collingwood would sit 10th and simply have to beat Richmond at Victoria Park on Sunday. And the Pies then have to hope that one of Sydney, Geelong and Gold Coast lose their last game. They might need St Kilda in ninth to go down too. The Pies, Ashling Sheridan is with us on the Captain's Run this morning. Ashling, welcome and thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Now, these are big stakes going into the last game. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's a lot um, to play for this weekend. But I suppose for us, we're just... Focusing on the things we can control and hopefully um, that's the game against Richmond and hopefully trying to get the win. Well, that's the first point, isn't it? Because for any of this to take place, you've got to uphold your end of the bargain, don't you? Yeah, that's it. You can spend so much time, I suppose, and energy worrying about how other results will go. But, you know, if you don't go out and perform on Sunday, it doesn't really matter how um, them results go. So I think that's kind of been our focus this week is just to really concentrate on our own game and go out and get our performance um, that we want. I suppose the beauty of it is, though, that you play on Sunday, as I say, against the Tigers. So before you, Geelong would have played, Gold Coast would have played. So you will know if the door is slightly ajar before you run out, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, I think um, we had a lot of Sunday games this year and it was probably something we were asking, you know, our question, you know, why we were always saying um, Sunday at three o'clock. But I think um, this weekend it actually works in our favour. So, yeah, there's, um, I think, a game tonight and 
a few games then on Saturday, which gives us a better idea. And then there's obviously the game after us. But yeah, thankful for the Sunday game this week. And look, not that you think about not making it, but it would be a fifth consecutive finals campaign for Collingwood. So, you know, the side just plays finals, history says. Yeah, and that's it. Like, you know, I think we we know where we should be and where we want to be. And, you know, it definitely would be a disappointment to not make finals, I think, um, you know, especially after making it the last few years. But I suppose it's the beauty of the competition now, especially the last or this year, how um, much teams have progressed and how it's not just your set finals and your set teams and how, like, even looking at the ladder now before the games, like how there's a possibility of loads of different teams making finals. And, Ashling, if you had to pick a venue, you would pick the one that you're going to run out on, on Sunday, Victoria Park. I think it's 15 of 20 that you've won there now. Yeah, that's it. And I think um, the history of Vic Park, um, you know, is, is special to Collingwood as well. So, uh, it's great that it is a home game for us and, you know, can really try rally the crowd to get out and support us, um, especially as well the Premiership Cup Tour um, is starting there this weekend. Um, so that I think will be great and hopefully get loads of fans out to support us and obviously then be able to see um, the Premiership Cup. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So there's a couple of occasions on the day. The, the, the one you just mentioned, obviously, the AFL Premiership Cup, that tour starts at your game on Sunday. And then it's also the, the Pride uh, Round match, of course, at Victoria Park as well. Yeah, and I think that's so special as well, the Pride Round. And it's great to see all 18 clubs with their Pride guarantees and um, how the day is celebrated. And I think, um, you know, it's just really important and it just shows inclusivity. And, you know, especially for the LGBTQIA plus community. And, you know, I think um, seeing all the different Pride jerseys and how it's celebrated is is so important. So I think it'll be a good day out um, on Sunday. Now, this is not your first rodeo, of course. You've been with Collingwood for a while now. I think you're coming up on 50 games. How have you assessed your own form this year, Ashley? Yeah, no, definitely. I think this year I've really um, come to terms, I suppose, with the game. I was probably a little bit laid out this year um, in pre-season as I was playing sport back home in Ireland. But I think um, each year, you know, you grow and you learn so much. And even, like, watching other games, I think it really brings on the education. But... Um, last year I probably was unlucky. I got a little bit of a knee injury, so that probably set me back a little bit. But thankfully this year, um, it's been pretty smooth sailing for me on the injury front, and hopefully that stays that way. But um, yeah, no, it's it's good, and I think um, you know it's great to see how they celebrate 50 games here as well, because in Ireland it's it's not something we do, or I wouldn't even know how many games in right. football I've played back home in Ireland. So um, yeah, to to see how much you can grow in comparison to game one to game 40, 50, whatever it may be, um, it's great. And I guess you're in a unique position where you go and you come back. So you you go home and then you come back. I mean, having done that a few times now, do you notice the improvement in the, I guess, the standard or the, the competition each time you do come back? Oh, definitely. And I think, um, especially speaking to a lot of the Irish players, especially because our game at home is amateur and you know, even though it's amateur, it's still, you know, we treat it as like a, a semi-professional sport. Um, but yeah, every time you come back, you can see how much growth there is in the game. And even just in the standard that's set in trainings or anything, you know, outside of game day. So um, it's really great to see and especially how much it has progressed since my first year to now is amazing. And hopefully it continues like that. Now, just away from that for a moment, Ashling, I want to know if this chat is going to feature on your YouTube vlog, because I have to say, I've noticed you haven't added to the channel for a while. I mean, you have had some other priorities, clearly, but what's what's the hold up? 
I know, and you know what? You're going to be delighted to hear. I'm actually editing a video. Um, I was yesterday of an hour away trip to Brisbane, um, and we got the win there. So that will be a good vlog. So stay tuned in the next few days, and uh, it'll be up. <laughs> no, I caught a couple of them this morning. So what was the motivation behind that? I know you should pick them up when you, when you returned to the country a short time ago. Yeah, I think, um, especially back home in Ireland, it's, it, you'd be amazed how much people actually have so much interest in the AFL and the AFLW competition. And probably because I think so much people are probably leaving Ireland. But um, I, I would have a lot of people, you know, asking me about it and asking to see more and more. And um, it's something I, I just have an interest in now in saying that it is time consuming and I definitely haven't been the best at posting. But um, especially any younger um, younger girls at home that I help coach and stuff, they love to see what it's like and, um, you know, it gives a good insight into, um, you know, how you can do them kind of things and still play sport and um, have that balance. And I know you get that mainstream media interest as well from back home. How is it viewed, I suppose, across the men's as well as uh, as you guys in the, in the women's, the, uh, not the exodus, but the amount of people and, and athletes that come over here to play? Is it viewed in a, in a positive light or, or is it mixed? Um, I think it's definitely mixed. I suppose it does hinder the LGFA competition back home in Ireland because when you look at it, we have maybe 30 Irish players out here now and, you know, that interest is actually only growing. So a lot of, um, you know, your top footballers at home in Ireland, you know, I think their goal now is more so to try to come out and get scouted in Australia. So in one sense, it's, I suppose, in that way, it can be looked at negatively because of how, you know, it might be affecting the competition back mm. home in Ireland. But equally, I think um, people are so happy to see um, girls come out here and succeed and actually get onto a team and, you know, fulfil their dream and um, get that opportunity to play in this environment. So I suppose it's, it's you know, a bit mixed. Um, but to be honest, I think it's more positive than anything, you know, especially back home, um, you know, I've only ever received positive talk and even my managers and coaches at home have only ever been delighted to see me out here, like, you know, succeeding, you know, obviously it's hard on them at home when you're not there, but mm. um, equally they want the best for each player. And obviously it would help you, your football when you get back home too, I'd imagine. Yeah, oh, 100%. I think even I went back home there um, and I was playing my season at home and um, it's little things like, you know, your little standards even that set um, in this environment um, that I, I really try to bring as well to my team back at home. And it gives you that um, bit of experience, I suppose. And, you know, coaches are so interested to know how you might conduct a training session or, you know, how different drills might be set up into the game styles and stuff. Because at the end of the day, it is amateur at home, you know, mm. um, everyone's a volunteer. So, um, and that's the same for the men's as well. So I think it does really bring that um, in, insight into it. Well, Ashling, I know how time-consuming the editing is for a vlog, so I better let you get back to that and also to prepare for what's most important, of course, and that's Richmond at Victoria yeah. Park on Sunday. So we wish you well. Thank you very much. The Captain's Run with Sam Edmund. Being powered, as always, by State Transport. Our people are your solution. Bryce McGain, we open with cricket. Mick Ablett, uh, our countdown to the draft. The forward crop it was today. Ashling Sheridan, Collingwood AFLW player. Andy Harper, really enjoyed that chat with Harps. 
uh, A-League, Premier League, Matildas, and Miles Fitzner set us up for a big weekend of racing. And by the way, uh, awesome to speak to Chris Anstey as well, LeBron James on fire yesterday, all them podcasts. If you missed them, sen.com.au. You want to grab a line, though, one 736 Midday Madness is about to ensue with this man, Julian DeStoop. Julio. Sammy, a big show coming up. David King's going to join us. More about uh, talking golf than footy. Campbell Brown, uh, Melbourne... United assistant coach, Reese Carter. We're going to do uh, Mike Hussey as well. St Kilda's upside and downside. Got a page of notes from Ross Legletorp about the Saints. What does Kingy the know next... about golf? Uh, well, he plays it a bit. He thinks he knows. Yeah, I'm not sure he's that good. Never won a cathedral, though, has he? Nah. Like me. Oh, yeah, um, but he hasn't got a handicap for 54. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a couple of topics today. Uh, sporting schadenfreude. Oh. Off the back of Australia, England. Who do you like? Have some fun with it. Who do you like seeing fail? Taking, I'm taking straight back. Uruguay. Nice. As Homer Simpson said, you are, uh, you know. Yes, the rest. that's right. And uh, it's always awkward coming across your ex, isn't it? Yes. You would know that. Would you're I? You're a very popular man with the ladies at RMIT. Oh, but uh, this weekend, and Maurizio Pochettino. Where's this going? And goes oh, back, back to, to Tottenham. Yeah, so, which one Chelsea. of the sort of your ex players that you found it very awkward seeing play against you? Oh, indeed. Well, Brody Grundy had it this year, for example. Might have it round one. Julian DeStoop's up next.